Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And returning to the show is Holt Watson. Now, he was on the show for the first time last fall, and we talked all about his love for hunting, fishing, the outdoors, and waterfowl hunting especially. He actually just finished up a trip that we discussed back in the fall about going down to Arkansas and guiding for snow geese. And so I want to hear all about how that went. We're going to talk about that. And I think moving forward, I'm going to start giving all of my guests a chance to change my mind about turkey hunting. Yeah, we're going to do it officially. We'll see how that goes. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. I think only experiencing it is going to be able to do that for me. Anyways, let's jump into this conversation. I'm super pumped. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, so I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now, Go Wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me again on the show is Holt Watson. Thanks for hopping on again, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Dude, so we're going to cover a bunch of different stuff. We've been talking for a little bit, and uh, I, I'm interested to see not only how your, your snow goose season went, but you've got another trip coming up, so we're going to talk about that and turkey season. I'm giving everybody extra long periods of time on the podcast right now to convince me that turkey hunting is cool. So that's <laughs> okay. part of your job today. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so why don't you start with that? Why don't you start with uh, how how Arkansas was? Because you were down there for a while. Yep. Yeah. You know, it was. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I think everybody in our group had fun this year. Um, it, uh, snow goose hunting regardless has its ups and downs as far as what weather gives you and what it doesn't. Um, but the hatch was pretty decent, you know, it's better than the last couple of years. Um, so that, that helps, you know, especially when, um, you know, you're trying to get big bunches in and you're trying to find, you know, the right ratio of, of juvies to adults, this, that, and the other. Um, but overall, um, we did well. Uh, we did exceptional. We had one group that, uh, was really in a good vein of geese for a couple of weeks and, uh, they kind of outschooled the rest of us, but it, it was very consistent. I would say, um, 
we were probably you know, where I started, we were probably right around, we averaged about 50 a day. Okay. Um, and we just didn't have the, it was very dry. And uh, in my part, we had a big cold front right away and a, um, part of an ice storm the first week of season. But um, we just, there wasn't enough moisture in December and January. And what we ran into was um, down there when they fertilize and kind of get ready for planting, they do a lot of stuff with planes. So when the planes get going, um, they try to get going as soon as they can in the year. And so actually this year, it was like a month early. They started like middle of January. Oh, dang. And that's like crop dusting anywhere from like fertilizer. You know, they're killing their cover crop, trying to get ready for spring type deal. Uh, it, but there wasn't enough moisture to keep them away. So uh, we, the feeds, snow geese don't really like planes. And especially when you get a lot of them, you know, in an area, uh, the Delta in Arkansas isn't very big to begin with. It's not very wide where your agriculture is. So you get a few planes in the air and they, you know, the geese get bumped around enough. They're just going to keep going North until yeah. they get away from it. So the feeds, we just didn't really have a lot of big, big feeds like we're used to right away. I would say I hunted eight to 10,000 pretty regularly, which is still plenty to play yeah. with, but I um, didn't. I'd be totally fine hunting that. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> but if and you're used to it, I can see how, how that's an issue. Yeah. And most people are. Um, but then the problem was, you know, by us that <clears throat> everything was burnt, all the cover crap was burnt. So the geese that were coming up from the South that are usually, you know, coming up to stage, you know, from down by the coast, they would just skip us. So like we weren't even, there was nothing for them to stick. There was no food. There was not a lot of the geese that we had right away see ya so um it, it, it all worked out we did well our clients were happy um we just had to kind of roll with the punches and move north quicker than expected so yeah man it's it's so cool to hear different things i mean not cool for you but to hear things like airplanes become mm -hmm. an issue like i would have never in all my years hunting thought that airplanes would affect the type of hunting i'm doing but right. that's the type of thing that you've got to think about when you're, when you're hunting down in Arkansas. Right. It's, you know, you, you, you just take what you can get right. Every day is different. And it's a, uh, you, you hope you have enough rain to keep them down. Uh, you're going to fight the Arkansas mud, no matter what, wherever you're at. But um, that was the, I will say to, on a positive note, we got to drive into a lot of fields the first couple of weeks because, or like even the levee roads or the farm roads with a truck and a trailer. I mean, it was just, it was rock hard. It was like concrete. So a plus side, that's nice. You know, yeah. a lot of times the concern is a lot of our friends that we have that our relationships built are like, Hey, don't rep my levee roads up or, you know, uh, try not to make ruts this side or the other. So that was one on a positive note. That was one thing we didn't have to worry about so much. Yeah. That's good to hear too, because I know, there's a couple people I follow that run guide services down in Arkansas and mm -hmm. a few things that they've been dealing with most of the year was flooding. I mean, they mm -hmm. had a lot of big rains down there that just yeah. washed a lot of stuff out. And so to hear that it, it did kind of dry out, although it might be difficult for yep. you, it might offer some benefits. Um, that's probably a huge relief in some, in some cases for farmers and, and yep. ag people. Yeah. It, you know, the weather there is just so bizarre where, you know, one minute it's like 70. I got down there. The high was like 68 for opening day. I mean, it's oh, you, you usually get that. I mean, towards the end of February, 
but you, I mean, right away to get down there in January and have 68 degrees is just like, oh my gosh. So the, the one part of the state really got smoked by, I think it was two or three ice storms. So they always had water. I mean, there was tornadoes. There's, like I said, one day there can be 70 and the next day you have 20 degrees and snow and it's just crazy. I've seen everything and anything happen in that state. Yeah. So you said, was it just at the beginning you were averaging 50 or did you kind of average 50 for, for the entire was, time down there? My group was kind of 50 overall. Okay. Um, we really, when we moved, we really picked it up. Um, but like we just, when you, if we would have had those bigger feeds right away, I think it would have been a lot better. So the one group uh, was close to a hundred a day. I think they were right in the 80 or 90, but um I shot a lot of 60 to 70, you know, I think I had a few shoots over a hundred. Um, but a lot of, I will take 50 every single day. I mean that so many people, uh, participate in the conservation season now. And so the pressure is just like unreal to what it was when I started 10 years ago. So you kind of have to take that into consideration, um, with these geese don't really get a chance to sit, you know, it's just like, a if we're not hunting them, somebody else is, you know, like, oh, yeah. if they get two days to sit, you're pretty lucky. So. I, I haven't done a ton of research into the conservation season and you may or may not know the answer to this, but in the conservation season, obviously the goal is to decrease the number of snow geese. Do mm -hmm. you have any idea how it's impacted the population or if it's doing the desired effect or having the well, desired effect? You know, the thing I think with, I think to answer that to the best of my knowledge, numbers wise, I don't know off the top of my head, but I can tell you that um, with how many people snow goose hunt now and, and participate in the conservation seasons, even snow goose hunting in the fall, I think a lot of juvies really get killed out of the hatches. I think that end of it really works, but it's the adults. I mean, you got geese, you got geese you're hunting that are 15, 20, 25, 30 years old. Jeez. So there we we've got definitely got a couple bands. I've been a part of a few hunts, 21, 22, 23 years old. Um, it, so those geese are really hard to kill. And what we ran into last spring was hatch was very, it was okay. It was worse than this year, whatever. But when COVID hit, what happened was, you know, there was no, no Canada and, and that was spring of 20. They didn't get pressure fall of 20, they didn't get pressure. So until they came back to the States and, and they didn't really stage up in the Dakotas very well, fall of 20. So they didn't really get pressure until conservation season last year. So they had a full year from COVID until a year into to 21 where they didn't really get hunted Dang. relatively speaking. So we got out the first day and I think lat this is last year and we had killed like 60 or 61 maybe. And they were like all adults. And I was like, dude, the, what just happened? That usually doesn't happen. If you're hunting all adults, you really got to have wind or a bad storm or weather to kill them. Yeah. And I was like, dude, we just killed 60 adults. And <laughs> um, it's because they got comfortable. They, they didn't get hunted. They didn't see it. That was my theory. They didn't get hunted. They didn't see a decoy spread you know, they got time to kind of like, they had a year to chill out. Yeah. Whereas the other end of it is they get hunted nine months out of the year. So 
we killed a lot of adults last year this year not so much what what is it that makes the adults harder to kill i mean obviously they're more conditioned they've seen more spreads they've seen more hunters are they coming in like at the back of the flock and so mm -hmm. by the time they get there everything's already taking off because it's being shot at yeah it it's it's really when you see you can see it. I mean, you can probably see it in some of my videos. I've seen some of Miles stuff, but I guess I haven't really dug into it too much, but um, I run an iPhone tripod a lot. So, you know, uh, if you look at some of the stuff that I post, you'll see where, you know, like 20 or 30 will bail out right away, you know, and then we're waiting on the big bunch, you know, but once you start to get them, it, it pulls the whole works, but you'll, if you look up top in the flock, a lot of times you'll still have geese peeling off. Yeah. Like they're just, they're, they're bailing. So, but that's the whole point of, you know, trying to have a good hatch. You hope for a good hatch so that they pull those adults in like that. You, you hope for that. That's kind of the goal. But 90% of the time this year, we were killing gray birds anyways. So, yeah. Dang. What a, you, you had mentioned that you've seen some bands that are 20 mm -hmm. plus years old. Um, yeah. How many bands are you getting when you're hunting snows? I mean, I'm, I didn't know if with snows, you're killing more birds, obviously, but mm -hmm. is the ratio of banded birds to unbanded birds still pretty similar? Yeah. Or, I or mean, you shoot more bands. Um, we had a couple, uh, probably four years ago, five years ago. Uh, we had two conservation seasons where I think we saw 12 to, or maybe 15 to 25 bands die, which is, Jeez. I would consider fairly, fairly good. I mean, you're killing a lot of geese, but I would consider that pretty good. Like this year, I only saw two, I think. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's, and uh, the two that I was a part of this year were on Rossi's. So Rossi, you know, for people that know or don't know Rossi's just subspecies, snow goose, whatever, just they're tinier. They're, they're a little bit smaller. Um, but a lot of the bands that I see are Rossi's. I haven't, I actually haven't seen a snow goose band for probably four years myself personally in my spread. So, wow. Yeah. I, I probably should stop saying I'm bad at certain types of hunting because if someone compiled all of the different things that I've said I'm bad at, they're like, this guy's a terrible hunter. Why do we listen to him? Um, <laughs> but as far as bands go, dude, I can, I can shoot the crap out of a dove that's banded. Mm -hmm. I've got two dove bands. And, mm -hmm. um, I didn't even know that was a thing until I shot the first one. I cannot, to save my life, shoot a waterfowl band. I'm talking yeah. like every single time I'm out with my cousin, he shoots one and I'm never the like, one to drop it. Even okay. in Wisconsin this year shot again. I can't say that I haven't been the one to shoot it, but mm -hmm. we shot two, but they do a draw for it. You know, they yeah. spin a wheel on a phone. I'm a little bit convinced that they probably like have their names in it multiple times or have it preset so that they get selected. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would yeah. do if I was in charge. Um, yeah. no, yeah. I, but yeah, two, two birds up there, a hen and a Drake mallard didn't get either of those bands. So literally the only bands that I get to have on my lanyard are the ones that come with the lanyard when I buy it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, you know, like you said, even at home here for me in Wisconsin, I, we really don't kill a lot of bands anymore. We used to, we used to definitely get, I shouldn't say that. it depends on the year, but um, I've always kind of thought it goes off of uh, up here. It kind of goes off of the, when you get for a migration. So there'll be times where 
sometimes in my area, we get the first push of molt migrators. Like you get the first colder day in September, you, you get like the non-breeders to come down the two and three-year-old geese. And, and, uh, that if you get them or if you get the right wind or if they end up where you're at that weekend or a couple days or whatever, um, that's when I've kind of noticed we've shot bands more. And then there's times where I talk to buddies that are a few hours away, a couple hours away. And they're like, dude, you should have seen what came out of the North today. And I'm like, hmm, okay. You know, so I you think you got to love those courtesy calls from people like, oh man, yeah, yeah you should have seen this. And I'm like, I know. But you know, you could just not pick up the phone ever. Like, yeah, just don't call me on. Tell me how bad you're doing, so I feel better about my hunting situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. What yeah. uh, What different species are you shooting? I mean, you mentioned Rossies. Uh, yep. You're shooting snows. What yep. other? I mean, it's only light fronted geese, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's just snows, blues, and Rossies. Okay. So yeah, that's just just those. I Rossies. I mean, I it's snows. Whatever. They're just a they're just tiny. They're just little, we call them peepers or whatever. So I don't know if you've ever heard one or seen one or whatever, but no, I, I have almost no experience with light fronted geese. Okay. Yeah. They're, they, we call them peepers cause they make like a, they literally just, I can't even describe it. It's like a peep, but <laughs> when you get a, a bunch of those coming, they, they kind of come in like wood ducks, you know, they're flipping oh, sweet. and flopping and, oh yeah. They're, if you get a good bunch of Rossies and everybody's hooting and hollering. So yeah yeah I can, they they make a hunt pretty fun it, so. it's cool to dive more into the different types of goose hunting because goose hunting is uh, an entirely different subculture of waterfowl hunters you know like there's the mallard guys there's the wood duck guys but when mm -hmm. it comes to goose hunting there's so many different types and hearing about people in the northwest going after cacklers or like people who just really really like hunting big canadas um mm -hmm. i it's cool to see that even within just geese, there's certain types that people absolutely love hunting versus others. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the one thing you get with us is, you know, our group or if, when you hunt with us, whatever, whether it's at home when we're just fun hunting or when we're guiding in Arkansas is we want to kill them as much or more than the people that are there that are paying to be there. So it's, a uh, when I go find something, you know, when I come up with my option for the next day, it, I have it set up in my head to what I would do if, if my buddies were laying there, you know, or if, if it was just for me, you know, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it, it takes the right breed, but, um, you know, the guys that have done it forever, they've got the drive and the determination and the patience and it's a battle, man. It's, uh, you know, Arkansas for 30 days is a, it's a pretty mental it, you got to be mentally tough to do it and just take it one day at a time and one scout at a time and try and not look too far ahead. So, yeah. How, how has it affected your passion for waterfowl hunting? I mean, is it trying at times or is it still like, man, I absolutely love this. No, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, the, the years that, um, you know, when you kind of find out a little bit ahead of time, like you hopefully know in the fall, you know, with the guys that are, are hunting in Canada, you know, you kind of get a blood sample of how things are going to shake out for the spring. As far as the hatch, you know, certain colonies of snow geese might've had a better hatch or better results than others. Um, so you kind of, if you hear the hatch is average or above average, like you're like, all right, this is going to be, you know, if anything can happen, you know, this is gonna be pretty fun. So, um, I think it just depends on the fall, but 
that way you can kind of mentally prepare yourself for a couple months for what to expect for conservation season. So, yeah, that makes sense. I, yeah. I guess it would be kind of cool to have, to have a gauge early on to know like, Hey man, we just have to expect kind of a slower season or dude, it's going to be lights out. I wish mm-hmm. it was like that with deer hunting. I I, it doesn't matter. I try so hard to figure out these freaking deer and my trail cameras will tell me an entirely like my trail cameras are fake news all the time. I feel like <laughs> it's I just know. like, dude, I these know. bucks are in here all the time, man. They're, they're here. Like they are here to stay. It's going to be amazing. And I then know. no encounters with them, but I, I know. I've got a feeling it's got to be somewhat accurate aside from obviously if you have a really bad stretch of weather, other than mm-hmm. that, the numbers should be pretty accurate in comparison to what Canada is seeing. Yep. Yep, exactly. No, you know, it's uh, the one thing that we run into, you always get it a couple times, sometimes a half a dozen or more times, but, you know, we'll go scout a feed on a full moon. And especially if it's clear out, there might've been 40,000 in it that night. And you go to hunt it the next morning and 5,000 show up. And those 35,000 are either in Southeast Missouri or in Western Illinois. So that's just, you know, we do our best, you know, it's an, it's an honest effort every day and you have to be able to tell yourself that. And, um, that's just the stuff that you can't control. You just kind of have to let it go and, and move forward, you know? So, yeah. Do you, do you find days where it's like a bluebird day where it's, it should not be any good at all where they surprise you? Yes and no. Uh, I've had days where, um, you know, we have a, I mean, a smaller feed, like 2,500 or, or whatever, 3000 and you might shoot them right away. And then all of a sudden, like mid morning or late morning comes and you get a push from the South and everything is just coming to you and you, you can't do anything wrong. So we'll lay there for a while and just keep shooting and killing until we're done. Uh, or until we think it's done. Cause we're, <clears throat> what we do is, um, we scout every afternoon and we, we hunt the first half of the day of the mornings and we feed hop every day. So we hunt a new place every day. But if we're killing, like I will lay there through lunch and we'll just keep hunting, you know, cause you got to cap, you know, you got to take advantage of it when it's good. So, yeah. How, how are you going about getting all the, all the property? I mean, hunting a different place each day, is it people mm-hmm. that you've gone to in the past that you, now you've built relationships with or, or are yeah, you just knocking a- on the door? No, it's pretty, it's a lot of people that we have built relationships with over the years. Um, like I said, when we, when I started, um, uh, it was, it was completely different. Um, but it, it, uh, fortunately we've all been in it for a while before it got the pressure that it's got now with the amount of people that, um, we have built quite a few relationships and, um, even with a couple of the other guide services, you know, it's a small world. Uh, we're pretty close and stay connected with a lot of people and, and keep good relationships that way. Um, I can think of a, a guy that guides for us that um, he he's tight with another outfitter. They communicate a lot, you know, and if he has an option and the other outfitter might not, they kind of help each other out a little bit in that aspect. That's cool. Uh, we've combined with another outfitter before. Um just because we're like, Hey, this could be really good. Like, are your guys okay with it? Yeah. Are your guys okay with it? Yeah. You know, let's see if we can go burn them down. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you just try and, and work together and do what you can. That's awesome. 
Um, back to back to the different species. I know every now and then there's like certain types of birds that are are just highly prized. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for a long time, uh, cinnamon teal was like number one on my list, and then mm-hmm. I saw a picture of a Drake Mallard pintail hybrid, and yeah. now I know that that's gonna be way like more rare than just about anything else. But I was like, that would be the coolest bird. And yep. then I've hunted with guys in Colorado where every now and then we would get a bird. And if I remember right, they called it a quill mm-hmm. and it came from quill Lake somewhere in Canada. And it's yep. the water there has some type of chemical or maybe it's like very sulfury or something like that. And yep. it bleaches their feet or wings or sometimes yep. almost the whole bird. And that right. was super prized. It was like, dude, I shot a quill today. This is amazing. And I've seen them. They are, they're beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. are there any prized birds like that, that like when you're snow goose hunting, if you see it, it's like, dude, everybody better shoot at that thing. Uh, yeah, there's a, so I think they're becoming more popular or people are paying more attention now, but going back to the Rossies, there's, it's called a blue phase Ross. So basically, you know, a snow goose and a blue goose are this big. Those Rossies are like this. So I'm just making a comparison here, but it, it's literally, it looks like a miniature blue. So okay. it's got all the colors that a blue does, uh, but it's a Ross goose. And so that's been, that's kind of like, a, a, I don't know if you want to call it sought after, but I would say 99% of the time when we shoot one, especially if it's decent, it's gone. Somebody in the group is mounting it. So nice. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm kind of glad that I haven't been on a hunt where I shoot something like that because I wouldn't appreciate it as much. Mm-hmm. Like right now I would, I would be over the moon if I shot a banded bird, any type of banded waterfowl. Um, obviously a neck band is like, Oh my gosh, that's a different level. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I get kind of frustrated when I see people who might be super early into hunting and they shoot like the biggest buck you've ever seen. And I'm like, man, I feel like you really appreciate something like that. A rarity when you've done it for so long and haven't, I mean, you've, you're used to shooting a certain thing. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden when that comes in, dude, if I came out with you and the first bird that came in, you're like, go ahead and shoot that. And it was a blue phase Rossi. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I don't even know what that is. And you're like, dude, you don't understand. You know, yeah, I, know. I would hate for it to be wasted on me. Yes. No, it, <clears throat> you know, the, the getting used. To, so I won't branch off too far from this, but the, the getting used to thing is, um, a couple of years ago, people got spoiled um, in like 2017 and 2018. The hatches were really, really good. We had two hatches back to back that were very good. And so in 18, um, we were killing over 100 a day per group, like every single day. Dang. We averaged like 134 a day. It was very good. And we, I'll be honest, like we spoiled a lot of people. And so like there's been a, you know, you can definitely see in people where they're like, well, we've kind of seen it all as good as it gets. I mean, there's, I know there's some people that just, you know, not that they don't care, but they kind of saw as good as it gets when it comes to snow goose hunting and they might not come back or they might come back in 15 or 20 years, you know? Um, so when it comes to like expectations and like, just because it's a conservation season where it's unlimited shells, unlimited, uh, limits, you know, that type of thing, uh, it doesn't always mean that you're going to kill a hundred every single day, you know? Yeah we, we strive for the best. And, uh, what we, when I go out and scout, I'm looking for the best of the best 
every single day. We all are. Um, but it realistically, like you have to be, you know, you got to be honest with yourself and with the hand you're dealt. So, yeah, let's, um, let's dive a little bit into the technicalities of the hunt itself. Sure. Uh, like decoys and, and yep. blinds and spreads and all of that stuff. Yep. What, what are you hunting out of? Are you guys doing pits down there or layout blinds? Uh, so everybody kind of does their own thing. So you can, you know, you can lay in whites, so you can wear white suits, uh, with backboards and lay in the spread. And then, um, you can do late. We have layouts. We have, you know, a frames or panels, whatever you want to call them. Uh, everybody's kind of got their own niche and what they like to do. Um, if you hunt with, so I guide with, um, Casey every day. Uh, if he doesn't like to be called Casey, I'll call him Dinger. That's his nickname. He wants to be called Dinger. But if you hunt with Dinger and I every day, um, we run layouts. Um, we just, our preference, we like to edge and, um, basically how it works is we have a, I pull a side-by-side to the field. He pulls a tiny enclosed trailer to the field and, or vice versa. And then we hook up the tiny trailer to the side-by-side and we're usually in, in two or three trips with people in the trailer. So, um, we, the clients all help set up and take down. Um, they're not required to, but most like to, because they're part of the experience and, uh, um, and they learn a little bit too. Um, so that's just kind of our program, I guess. Yeah. Nice. Um, how many, how many decoys are you guys putting out and tearing down? You know, it depends. Uh, I've hunted with, uh, anywhere from 150 to 900. So, you know, or a thousand, like if you run socks, you can run, you know, we've run 1200 or something before, but I would say a lot of the times I usually don't run more than six or 700. Okay. So, um, yeah, this year we were fortunate enough to, um, you know, get in on those levee roads every day and not make too much of a mess with the side-by-side and tiny trailer. So we ran full bodies every day and, uh, and layouts. If you hunted with Dinger and I, that's what we did uh, just about 99% of the time. Nice. Uh, of, of those decoys, how many, how many motion decoys are you putting out? Um, you mean like clones or vortexes? Yeah. yeah, Like actual, sorry, not like socks Uh, or anything, but sure. Uh, so we do run rotaries, uh, but, uh, Dinger and I like to hunt with clones. They're like a flapper. Oh, so those things are the coolest things ever. Yes. Um, you know, it, it just depends on the scout and what we think. Uh, but 90% of the time we run half a dozen clones every day. So it, you know, it might only be six or whatever, but, uh, so we've put more out before, but really if you just have enough to to kind of get their attention off things. That's really all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I've, I've seen the videos where people are running, I mean the giant spreads and that (laughs) I look at it and I'm kind of like, man, I'm kind of glad I'm not a snow goose hunter because that Mm -hmm. is a lot of work, like setting up full bodies and tearing them down constantly. Like that's your hunt might be four hours, but your total time out there is seven hours because you're setting up and tearing down. Um, I mean, it's all part of the experience and as much as I might complain about setting up and tearing down now in the moment, or like I would give anything to be going out and setting up a goose field right now. I think that'd be sure. No. Yeah. It, 
our actually you'd be surprised our setup and takedown is pretty efficient um so all of our full bodies have tail loops on them so each guy can actually carry anywhere from 15 to 30 at a time oh dang. so basically what happens is you're required to you know have eight for your own field so we're, we guide anywhere from eight to 12 guys every day so there's you know usually about a dozen of us picking up and i usually when i when i start picking up you know, all the clients will go out and start grabbing decoys and throwing them in, hucking them in the trailer. We don't bag them. We just throw them in the trailer hole. Yeah. Uh, they start throwing them in the trailer. I start taking electronics down, e-collars, clones, that and the other. We actually have a couple groups where we are picked up in 25 minutes and out of the field. Holy cow. That, like, I bet you that, those, I bet you those tail loops make a huge difference. I've never done that. Uh, we've, anytime we've like done big, and I say big, I'm talking like a couple hundred um, yep. full body goose decoys. Yep. It's just like the stands, right? So like you're looping yep. your arm through the stands. It's like carrying all the groceries in, you know, from the yes. car in one trip. But you yes. can't grab very many of them when you're doing it right. that route. But the tail loops, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I, the, it, like I said, it's like we've just gotten to the point where we've done it for so long. We've tried to figure out the most efficient way to everything. And as far as getting in and out and making sure things run smooth and it helps immensely. I mean, definitely some you have to fix once in a while they break or you retie a knot or something, but it, uh, it helps immensely when it comes to setting up and takedown. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called bull elk beard oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned e-callers. I mean, mm -hmm. are we talking like a Fox bro style? Uh, mm -hmm. Fox yep, bro we style run Fox Bros. Okay, sweet. Yep. That's what we run. Yeah. We have usually we run two every day, uh, for three or four speakers on each one. And, um, some days they want it turned all the way up and some days they want it turned all the way down. It just depends, but it's nice. It's runs off a remote. Um, so if I want to switch sounds on the fly or something, I can just lay there in the blind and, and switch it quick. Or, um, if I got to crank it up, you know, like if I feel like we're losing them or I'm trying to get their attention or something, you can just crank it up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Arkansas, I mean, it was kind of, you know, average year less obviously than that, the 17, 18 years where you were mm -hmm. shooting over a hundred. What, yeah. uh, what do you have coming up? You've got a trip to South Dakota. Yeah. Yep. So actually a couple of the guys are there now. Uh, we just, we had some people that really wanted to go. And uh, so they'll be hunting 
starting for the weekend tomorrow. What is it? Tomorrow, Friday. Yeah. Starting uh, tomorrow. And then um, I'll head out uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday next week and, and meet up with them. And I think we have another week after that or so seven days that we'll run. Nice. So, and then uh, a couple of the guys will actually be going to Canada. Um, and I think they have maybe 15 days in Canada, but <clears throat> rest of us are back to work for the most part by then. So, yeah. Uh, yep. is there, I mean, like what, what is South Dakota like in comparison to Arkansas? Obviously it's going to be a whole lot different, um, yeah, as far as terrain goes, but it's different. You know, um, there's a, there's, uh, one of the guys in our group is there right now doing some, um, pit hunts. And he's got one or two groups a day, just depending on how busy he is. But um, he, he's been his, I think his best day is 60 or 70 so far. Okay. And that's more of a traffic, you know, that's migrator, big spreads, three, four, 5,000 decoys. Um, but there's a, uh, Dakotas are different just because there's quite the, the adults are pushing. Like they're like, we want to just get as far North as we can and just whatever. So there's, there's actually a pretty big separation once you get to the Dakotas. Okay. So if you find them, it can be really good. But if you don't, you know, then you don't. But it's uh, you're hunting a lot smaller pockets, you might say. So it might be times you only hunt four or five hundred. Okay. So, but they, but it's different. It's smaller groups sometimes, like five packs, six packs, ten packs. Um, that's kind of like what we're chasing, more or less. Um, but you know, like tomorrow, I just talked to one of the guys today. It's, there's a ton of geese, um, which can be really good too. going to be a high wind. So a lot of the times, you know, they'll, they'll set up to lay on the bottom edge of the spread when you get a high wind, like 20 miles an hour, cause those geese can't get up that high. And so they're always like, you know, 15 feet off the ground crawling. You might've seen it in Missouri before, oh, yeah. um, that wind just drives them down. And so you can actually kill adults pretty good that way if you're in the right situation. Nice. Yeah. Is, is there a like snow goose Mecca? I mean, is Arkansas kind of it? Or I know like if you go out of the U S Argentina is a pretty sought after destination for, for ducks, especially doves and ducks. Um, where is that for geese? You know, I would say just like anything in general, like any, I mean, I guess I would say, um, Canada, probably Canada's kind of the, um, I haven't been to waterfall hunt Canada yet, just fish, but, um, Canada, a lot of the guys that help us out start in Canada and all that my friends talk about is when they first get there in the fall or when, you know, just cause they haven't been hunted yet. So, or going back or whatever, but them. Canada is kind of the sought after thing for everything. I think for the most part. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool to be able to travel. And I've heard of those guys. I think what, what was I doing? I think I was working for a moving company one time and this was the first encounter I had with someone who would chase the migration Mm -hmm. and yeah, I was working for a moving company. If I remember right, it was a treadmill that we were moving for this guy and we show up and he's talking and we start talking about hunting. I had a camo hat on or something. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I chase, I chase the birds from Canada down to Mexico. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what's that? 
And he's like, yeah, I mean, I start out in the fall. I don't get back, uh, back home until almost right before summer. And yep. he's like, I'm just chasing the migration the whole time. And I was like, that is the coolest thing. I just wonder for me, like I know during bow season, once I get, you know, 30, 40 days in early mornings every day, I can be exhausted. But yep. in the in the days in the off season where you're not doing it, you're you're wishing you were. So Yeah. Yeah, there's so two of the guys actually that I get to guide with, two friends of mine, they actually start in Canada. They do it full time. So they start in Canada at the Canada operation and then they come, you know, take a break for a little bit and then they fire up in Oklahoma. And then when they're done in Oklahoma, two days later, they come over for conservation season in Arkansas. Nice. So that's kind of their, they do the whole thing, follow them down. And, and, uh, they've done that. Uh, one has done it for several years now, probably eight to 10 and, and, and Dinger who I get to guide with every day. I think this is his fourth, but wow. Yeah. Dang. That's awesome. Um, so after, after your South Dakota hunt, are you guys going to be right into Turkey season or when does Turkey season up open up there for you? Yeah. Um, so I think Minnesota is a week earlier than Wisconsin this year. So Minnesota comes in April 13th, I believe. Okay. So Wednesday and then Wisconsin fires up, I believe the week later. I have to look, but I'm almost positive it's the week later, like the 20th. Um, so I'll be, I'll get back. I'll probably go to work the, you know, starting April 9th or whatever that day is, I guess. And um, yeah, pretty much when I get back from South Dakota, I'm ready for turkeys. So I've already been, uh, got some, you know, figured out and lined up to look at for when I get back and um, went and visited some of my usual landowners just to get that out of the way. Cause I will have zero time once we close on the house. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've kind of packed your spring pretty full, man, between trips, a house, Turkey season opening up, going back to work. You're going to be busy. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there, there's plenty going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that feeling I've been, I've been gearing up this year for Turkey season. I got a new vest and I wish one of these episodes, I'm going to have to share the information on the vest. I found it on Amazon and mm-hmm. it had all the bells and whistles. I was like, this is the coolest turkey vest I've ever seen. Like it's got the flip down seat. So you've got a nice cushion to sit on, but then it's also got like a kickstand out of the back. So you have two legs that kick out of the back of the vest and it turns mm-hmm. the whole thing into a chair. And I'm like, dude, I should have been using this the whole time for like coyote hunting. Cause I'm typically just sitting against a tree coyote hunting, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like turkey hunters, they kind of do it right when it comes to comfort and, and versatility with their gear. Yep. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy going. I don't upgrade a lot. Like I've, I think the vest I have was actually my dad's vest. I'm just kind of like, I'm not too cheap to buy one, but I'm like a new one. I'm just like, I don't really need one. You know, it's like probably 14 or 15 years old, but I'm like, it does the job. You know, I've, the zipper still works to put my calls away. So I'm like, ah, why would I need a new one? Um, but I'm always like looking at the new decoys that come out or they're always upgrading something as far as that goes. So I'm always paying attention to that. Yeah. I bought, so I bought a flex tone, funky chicken, mm-hmm. the real goofy, like stupid rubber chicken looking one. Yes. And, uh, I've heard really good things about that. Actually. I had someone on the podcast that shared with me, 
uh, that trick. And then I've talked to multiple other people and they're like, dude, turkeys hate those things. Like they hate them. Like they're going to come in and whoop the crap out of it. And so I was like, sweet. So I ordered one of those. Uh, I got a notification that had been delivered to our PO box, went to pick it up. It was not there. Uh, did some digging. Apparently the package that I was tracking was actually delivered to some company here in town that does overland vehicle stuff. So I called them. They didn't have it. She's like, no, I'd remember that. We're a pretty small company. And, uh, and so then I kept doing more and more research come to find out I got refunded the money, but it was on an Amazon gift card. So I didn't really notice it. And so something happened. It told me it was delivered, but then they refunded me the money and I never got it. So ordered a new one. Hopefully that gets here before season. Um, I got a box call. I'm trying to think what all I got a new shotgun this year. Actually, I went and got a Carlson choke, uh, Mm -hmm. the long beard XR choke. Yep. And was pretty pumped about that. Went out to pattern my gun and it was not good. I don't know. Um, I don't know what it, it, what it was, if it was a combination of ammo or if it was me rushing, because as soon as I got set up, I've been looking forward to doing this for a while. As soon as I got set up, it started raining. So then I'm sure. rushing. I was going to do like a side-by-side review of it and my full choke. And then like just target load ammo versus the expensive ammo, all this mm-hmm. different stuff. Anyways, I felt like 30 yards was really the max that I would feel comfortable taking a shot at a turkey with mm-hmm. the setup that I had. But I'll be doing more more digging into that. Anyways, lots of new sure. gear for turkey hunting. Hopefully sure. I get super excited about it. Yes. Um, it is the most excited I've ever been, but I'm still not like turkey hunting's the greatest. Right. So you mentioned before you haven't really decoyed them a lot, right? No, I've I've had turkeys come in to my decoys. I've never had a tom fully commit while I was sitting there. This past year was the closest. Actually, the past two seasons. One season I had them come in but they didn't want to cross the property boundary. So there was a chain link fence and some brush that had grown up, not a chain link, a barbed wire, and they didn't want to cross it. So I had turkeys, big toms, gobbling, uh, spitting and drumming, literally three feet from me on the other side of the fence. Um, So I've had that. Uh, And then this past year, I had three toms come booking it into my decoy, but we were walking back to my decoys from a little walkabout that we did. We're like, man, we keep hearing them over here. Maybe we'll do a quick set, go check to see if these other fields have any. And so we did that and came back. And as we're walking back, we see these three freaking pterodactyl sprinting toward my decoy. And we ended up doubling up on them. I mean, we snuck into them. uh, Sure. Pulled out the old turkey umbrella. Uh, I've gotten a lot of hate online for using that thing, but I couldn't (laughs) care less. I could not care less. People are like, oh, the only thing I need to know that you're a shitty turkey hunter is that you use a turkey reaping decoy. And I was like, I know. I was like, I don't, I really don't care, dude. I've got bigger birds than a lot of people do. And I know I don't do it the conventional way. So those are my experiences, but I've never been sitting there, had a turkey come in, fan out, like ready to fight while I'm sitting there into my decoy to where I could shoot it. Right. And I think once you experience that, which hopefully will be this year, I, I think you'll have a, a little bit different take on it. 
Yeah. Because it hard, you know, you see videos, you hear buddies or people you talk to say it, and people can say one thing, but until you yourself go and do it and see it, you know, it's hard to be like, Yeah, man, I get it. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh you get you know, especially more than two to come in. And if they're aggressive and fired up, it's just like, okay, this is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, for me, for me. And and I get it. I mean, I get the idea of when it happens right or like the way that you've always watched it or expected it, it's going to be a different feeling because I've shot bucks in really weird situations. My biggest buck I ever shot was a weird situation. I was walking Mm -hmm. in a field, turned around, had this weird sense like there's something behind me. And I turn around and it's right on top of me. I mean, at 40 yards and I shot the biggest buck of my life that way. But looking back on it, I'm like, that was not nearly as exhilarating as sitting in the woods up in Wisconsin during rifle season. And you hear the crunch and you're looking for it and can't find it. And all of a sudden it's right there or you see it a long way off and it's walking in. It's just a different feeling, a different sensation when it happens one way versus the other. Yeah. You're kind of, you're chasing more of that buildup. Yeah, yeah. The actual kill. Yeah, because yeah. I like that. I like the, oh, man, is it going to stop? Am I going to get a shot? Like, even with my bow, I've had weird encounters with my bow where all of a sudden there's just a deer underneath me. I mean, like, right underneath me. I'm like, where did that come from? And I would rather see him working across the field, coming up the fence line, like, yep. have knowledge of him, but also, like, the anticipation. Is it going to happen? Is it not? Your heart mm-hmm. your heart beats 120 times a minute for like the first few minutes. And then you're like, ah, it's not going to happen. And it drops down to normal. And then you're right. like, it is going to happen. You know, like that whole game is, is what I find the most exciting. And so once that happens with Turkey hunting, I might be telling a different story. Right. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I totally get it. I've, I figured I, I, when I talked to you before on the last episode about reaping and how I'm probably going to get a lot of crap for it, it's a, there's, especially the further South you go, um, there's a saying, you know, if you can kill a Turkey in Arkansas, you can kill a Turkey anywhere. Yeah. And which is very true. I mean, I have, I have some buddies that are very good woods hunters. They're very good. They know when to shut up. They know when to not overcall. I mean, they've hunted some very hard public land in the Hills. Um, and so they, I get grief from people sometimes. Some of my buddies like, oh, you went out and reaped one. Well, I don't always like to reap, but if I don't have much time or it's a tactic, like I just go do it. I don't care. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm it, like, can you still make it in the record books reaping? Is there something yeah. that like really works I, against you or is it the same exact thing? Nobody actually cares except right. like the, the few people that get butt hurt. Like I, I don't, I don't understand how, why people get so hung up on certain parts of hunting. It doesn't make sense to me. I know. Well, everybody, t- I think to an extent, every hunter outdoorsman takes pride in how they do what they do. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's, uh, some people just can't let it go when they see somebody else doing something that they think is frowned upon. I mean, yeah, to each their own, you know, but yeah. I, I, I don't feel, care. I feel like hunters are like, there's my way to do it. And then there's the wrong way to do it. And mm-hmm. I mean, you hear that even with equipment, you know, if you're not shooting the same caliber as them, the same broadhead as them, uh, you know, they've got an issue with it or oh yes, I just, I'm like, dude, let people do it their own ways and see who can do it better. See who can be yep. more successful or kill, you know, the, the ideal animal that you're going after, whether it's right. 
whether it's banded birds, all green heads, or a 180 class buck or bigger. I mean, right. What, just be the best at what you want to do and let other people do it their way right. and try to be the best that way. Yep. Yeah. I, if, if I could say, I mean, yeah, I would wait, you know, if I had my choice, I would rather set up, watch them come that whole build up of trying to, you know, sneak in. If I can do it that way, I, I mean, I definitely try to just cause it gets me going a little bit more. Uh, I get just as much, ex, you know, on a good reap, I get pretty excited, but um, yeah, I just think it's the, the whole story behind it, you know, watching them come in, I mean, coming in to kick your decoys, butt, or if you're reaping to kill you, you know, yeah. uh, and they get from here to the wall away and you're like, you know, you stand up to shoot one or whatever. And they're just like, Oh shit, you know, or, <laughs> Oh, not good. Uh, just that, and, and, you know, like you got them. I don't really know how to describe it, but yeah. once you get them within that threshold or get them committed, my excitement builds, you know, you, you know, for sure you got them. So. That's, that's my thing. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be shooting birds at 70 yards. I would like them as close as I possibly can. There's something about yeah. being up close and personal. It seems more intimate. Um, when, when you can get a bird in that close, this might end up being the least popular thing I've ever said on the podcast, but sure. I would 100% enjoy sneaking into a roost and shooting a bird. Like <laughs> I think I like in seeing the videos of people videoing like birds up on, uh, up on a branch gobbling all morning long or like uh -huh. right before the sun comes up or even after I'm like, right. can you imagine the rush of like just having to go inch by inch trying to get close enough to them to be able to shoot them right there? That would right. be a rush, man. Right. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of turkey hunters that are going to probably send death threats for that one. But probably, I think it would be, I, I, I mean, I don't think anybody could argue that it would probably be a, a crazy rush to, to do something like that. You know, I think part of it is too, especially if you got in a scenario you know, where you can get in close on one, you have one pitched down, like where you get within a hundred yards. Like last year I got within 50 yards of two of them, which only reason my fiance and I were able to do that was because we had foliage on the trees by then. Um, but they pitched out 20 yards from the decoys and came in and kicked the crap out of them. Like that's kind of like what I thrive on, whether it's yeah. in the woods or in a pasture or the field, like that's where I get my rush. How close can I get? without bumping them, but you know, will they pitch out into sight? Like when you can see them pitch down and, and get fired up or I've had it where they spin around on the limb, you know, look down at your decoy and they're, they just start going off. They're just gobbling. Like, I can't wait to fly down and kick your butt. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, so. I've, I've got to see them pitch out of the roost a couple times. Um, one time it was all hens and they landed in the field I was hunting, uh, waiting for Tom's nothing came. And then this past season, me and my buddy, we snuck into this spot and I was like, dude, they've been roosting across uh, the bean field, like right on the, right above the fence on the boundary line. And I was like, dude, we're going to get set up here. Everything's going to be good. So we get set up and I mean, it's getting kind of to that point where it's like, all right, we should probably sit down and, and be still. Well, my buddy, my buddy, it seems like every time we get out there, he has to take a dump or like has to go to the yeah. bathroom. And so yeah. he's like, dude, do you think I'm good to go? And I was like, yeah, we were sitting, we were sitting in this row of cane, which was like so thick, you can't see through it. Right. And so we're sitting right on that. I'm like, just go on the backside. 
first of all, it's on the opposite side of where I'm expecting the birds to come from. And the wind is blowing that direction. So I don't want to smell it, you know? And so he, he's like, all right, I'm going to hurry. You know, I mean, it's going to be shooting time anytime now, and they're going to start seeing a long distance. Mm -hmm. And so he turns and he gets maybe, maybe 10 yards. And we just hear right above us. Like, I mean, I'm talking, we were sitting 15 yards from the base of the tree that this big old Tom was in. And he walked right over to that tree to go to the bathroom and had, and I mean, we had no idea he was up there and he pitched down and I'm like, dude, that would have been the coolest hunt ever because we didn't know he was there. Imagine sitting there, not knowing that you've got birds up there. And then one sounds off that close. Oh dude, that would have 100, like just thinking about that is almost turning in me, turning me into a diehard turkey hunter. Like that would have been awesome. It, so. Yeah, the, I think the element of surprise is a big deal when it comes to turkey hunting. I've had situations like that where I've gone in and I'm like, yeah, I know there's one or two over here. You know, they're usually roosted right here. And then one sounds off and you're like, oh my God, he's close. Like, like hold your gun or your bow or what, just get ready. You know, Yeah. that's like, then I really get excited. That really amplifies it. Yeah. It's going to be, I'm glad you're, you're pretty understanding. This is, this is gearing or this is getting me ready for a few conversations I'm about to have. Um, yeah. There's a, a couple people that reached out. One that has the Grand Slam, and they're trying to go for the World Slam. Um, sure. Another one is from NWTF. And so I'm going <laughs> to – we'll see their reaction to some of my yeah. takes on turkey hunting yeah. um, here in the coming weeks. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't really care. I yeah. mean, I'm – you know – I also don't hunt a lot of public, so I, I've never had somebody mess my hunt up or anything. Or, oh, yeah. Or, you know, I don't really deal with a lot of the stuff that people have to complain about or, or your thoughts or whatever, but it's turkey to me. I mean, yeah, what, whatever, you know, it's not 150 inches of antler. Yeah, so. I like that. <laughs> that. That's something that'll piss a turkey hunter off pretty bad, like when they get all up in arms about the way you do it. And you're like, dude, it's not even a big game animal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I oh, look yeah. for it, but it's, uh, I, there's just something different about walking up and grabbing a set of horns versus a turkey. So, yep. yeah, yeah, it's, I don't think it could ever take over. No matter, I could have the craziest encounters ever, and I don't think it would come close to whitetail hunting for me or to elk hunting or, right. I mean, waterfowl it might be able to sneak up there and get kind of close, but there's just so many good experiences I've had doing things that haven't been hyped up. And that's Mm -hmm. probably a big part of it for me is hearing the hype around it Mm -hmm. and not being part of it. I was just like, all right, this has been overplayed. Like you guys oversold this way too much. And, uh, but don't get me wrong. It's, it's getting there. I'm, I'm starting to find a love for it and, and get excited about it. So. Yeah, no, I just, I hope you get a chance to see the show because it, uh, you know, you get to see that and, and actually experience it. You're just like, okay, I want to do that again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Why is it over already? Dang it. You know, that's that. I hope you get to experience that. Well, and the nice thing here in Missouri is we can shoot two um, mm-hmm. during the spring and then we can yep. shoot more during the fall. And yep. uh, I think... I've, I've been drawn back with my bow on one while, while deer hunting in the fall. And that was kind of fun. I mean, there were a yep. bunch of toms coming through the woods, but 
dude, during the fall, good luck. I, I don't know how anybody could kill one during the fall. Like, even though you can shoot them, like, with your shotgun or your bow, I think mm-hmm. shotgun is all October. Mm-hmm. There's just no cover, man. Like, mm-hmm. they picked me out from 70 yards through the woods, like thick woods, but there's yep. just, they could see every little movement. Right. You know, uh, I've actually, I've only ever shot one in the fall. Um, I don't buy a fall tag anymore. I haven't for a few years, but I used to buy one all the time just because I blind hunt a lot and you can't really see into them. So I had a group come through and luckily they were like 15 yards and I whacked one. Nice. Um, but I, I don't really, I guess in that aspect, yeah, that's kind of, if I'm in the portable or whatever, when I'm not in the blind, then yeah, they're coming through. If the leaves are down, you're kind of screwed. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, depending on how this year goes, I might dive even further into the Turkey reaping decoy world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen like the ultimate predator decoys. Mm-hmm. They've got the deer and the turkey. I mean, they've mm-hmm. got everything, but the cow, the cow decoy has piqued my interest quite a bit because we do yeah. have cows on a good chunk of the hunting property. And sure. I'm like, no animal's afraid of a cow. Like nothing. Right. I've seen cows walk right up to the water where a bunch of geese are hanging out and mm-hmm. the geese don't move. And I'm like, right. that would be pretty interesting to start yep. doing like a cow silhouette and walking. And I mean, that's for deer, coyote, waterfowl, turkey, you name it. I feel yep. like that could increase your odds. So we'll yep. see how it goes. Absolutely. Oh, I was going to bring up to you too. Uh, I know we kind of talked a little bit about last time, that petition thing for having in Wisconsin to bring your deer in. Oh yeah. I, I was, I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, I know he's a busy man, but that would be awesome if he could pull some strings and we could make that happen. Man, I haven't done a whole lot with it. I figure like this yeah. summer, I'll try to really ramp that up uh, sure. leading up to uh, deer season. And even if they only do it for the rifle season, I think yep. it would be pretty cool because, you know, nobody really gets together during bow season and checks mm-hmm. that stuff out because, I mean, obviously the influx of hunters comes during that week in November. Um, yep. And so I might start trying to push it. And I've I've got a lot of connections now with different podcasters up in Wisconsin. Um, yep. I think we could get it out there and yeah. uh, see that see what it's great. all or see if we can make it happen. I don't know. I drove yeah. by this past week. I was actually in Wisconsin. Yep. Went to went to my hometown, did some shed hunting on the property that I hunt, and then a little bit on a neighboring property. Only found one shed, but I drove mm-hmm. past the corner store that we would always go and weigh the deer at and get our pictures. The Polaroids, they'd stick up on a tack wall, like yep. the whole deal. And it made me think of that. I'm like, I really need to make it happen. I just yeah, I, I got to find a I way. Know. Yeah. Were you, were you up here with, uh, was it the beard oil guy or the, yeah, yeah. Brian Krebs. I was up there. Uh, yeah, he came over. Was... So he just moved to Minneapolis. And okay. so, uh, when I found out that I was going to be coming up, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to kick over. And, um, one, I went to check out a, a hunting lease in Buffalo County and sure. then, um, I wanted to shed hunt and then obviously see all my family there in the Eau Claire area. So, um, yep. when I found that out, I was like, dude, are you in Minneapolis now? And he's like, yeah, I was like, dude, Saturday, let's get out and shed hunt. Yeah. And we did. And it was fun, right. man. He's a super awesome guy. And yep. I feel like we're going to be, we're going to be hunting buddies for a long time. Sure. Was the snow pretty much gone there? Yeah. Saturday? Yeah. It was, yeah. uh, the only, the only spots that we found snow was in between 
uh, some real mature pine trees and mm-hmm. a hillside. I mean, it was on the north side, so it never got sun. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was really built up from some snow drifts along a fence row. Other okay. than that, there wasn't much anywhere. Right. Yeah, we, we pretty much lost all ours since you were here. We, you know, I'm just a little ways north, obviously, and it's it's pretty much gone. Yeah, so I, I definitely think I'm going to make trips up there to shed hunt moving forward because I had sure. a lot of fun. I mean, I haven't put a ton of time into actually walking and looking for them, mm-hmm. um, but I can see how addicting it would be, especially if you can find a spot where you find them one year. From everything yeah. I've under, I understand about it, there's guys that are like, dude, check the same spot. If you find antlers in one spot one year, really search that area the next year because yep. that same buck may have dropped or it might just be a good wintering ground for a bachelor group of bucks. And, right. you know, you could find a bunch of them in the same area. So right. I'm hoping that, you know, that that's the funny thing. I'm more hooked on, on shed hunting than I am turkey hunting. And it wasn't even, <laughs> I've, I've hardly had any success with that. So. Right. Right. Did you, did you apply for a tag at all up here for turkeys? No, I did not. My cousin, my cousin, I love him to death, but I always, it's my fault really. I can't blame it on him, but he's a, he's really good at reminding me to apply a few days after the application deadline. And so he's like, Hey man, did you apply? And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, Turkey. And I'm like, no, when do I have to apply by? He's like three days ago. I'm like, yeah, see, you should call me like five days ago then and say, are you going to apply? But anyways, like I said, it's not his fault. I just like giving him crap about it, but I have not, I did not apply. He said a lot of times there's like leftover tags or a second application or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we'll see if I can, if I can pick one up, I'd love to come up and, and Turkey hunt. Yeah, you should. I think actually you could actually probably buy one today. Really? So, uh, yeah. I don't remember what zone you're in. I mean, I remember it, uh, roughly where you're at over there and I, it's right on the border of two different ones uh, of mine and a different one, but um, I, you might be able to buy one actually. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to decide if I, if I can make it up there, I could go over near my normal hunting property, but my mm-hmm. cousin has so much luck and he was actually just on a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about it. I mean, he's batting like 95% on, on helping other people fill turkey tags. And I'm talking like between 12 and 20 people that he gets out every year and gets turkeys for. So I'm like, man, that sounds like a pretty good, (laughs) pretty good odds for me. And if I'm going to drive, you know, 10 hours to come and turkey hunt, I'm going to want to, I'm going to want the best chance I can. Yeah. That, uh, where you're at there is very good yeah very very good so that we're we're kind of the same i don't you know last couple of years i've been fortunate this year not so much i won't get out as much but um it same kind of same kind of deal average i usually i don't quite get 20 people out uh but there's probably about a dozen of us you know that i get to hang out with and and uh see a few hit the dirt so it's it's always fun everybody's always excited the excitement oh yeah i your seasons there are pretty short though, right? Because you have it yeah. split up into a bunch of different seasons. Yeah, it's six seasons. Um, so you have A through F. And um, there's, I think there's, I don't remember how many, there's at least seven zones. Um, so it's kind of broken up into what zone you can be in. So you, you know, I by December, whatever, the year before you have to apply. Um, so you, you get like two or three preferences and you usually get one of them. 
Um, and then there's so many people that do it now that, uh, that usually you end up with, you know, two tags or whatever, three tags. Um, but, uh, back before it really kind of blew up in Wisconsin, uh, I used to have a few more than, than three. So, uh, but it's fun, man. It's, it's something to do. And, um, especially in the spring, you know, you're kind of like, well, I'm done shed hunting, but I'm not really going to worry about trail cameras yet. You know, it's not quite June or July. So, um, it's a good, good fun void to have in April and May. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to look into that and see if I can pick up a tag and then see with our travels, my wife really wants to get back down to Florida. And if I tell her we're going to Wisconsin instead, she might kill me, but, uh, I think, yeah, I'm going to have to check and see if I can make that happen here. Our season opens up April 18th and it goes till May 8th. So we have a decent amount of time um, to get after turkeys, but I'm hoping I've never, yeah, I don't think I've ever filled both my spring turkey tags. So I'm hoping I can make that happen this year too. Absolutely. Yeah. You're busy. So no, wait, you guys are expecting too, right? So we are expecting, but it is somebody else's. So she's a surrogate. Right. So yeah, that's, she's that's expecting I, end of July, beginning of August is really. Oh my gosh. So you guys are busy. You guys have your oh, always, <laughs> always. Yeah. We, we don't ever stop. We're a hundred miles an hour all the time. So, um, it's good and it's bad because right. I love to travel and hunt, but also there's times where I'm like, can there not be a hunting season for like a week? And I just want to, yeah. I literally want to lay down and binge watch a dumb TV show. And <laughs> I, <laughs> right. But I guess part of that is probably we torture ourselves by getting in the car and driving everywhere. So we've probably right. put on, gosh, I don't know. We've probably put on eight to 10,000 miles already this year yep. in, in the vehicle. So no, I did hear uh, on the episode the other day, you're leaving in August. You guys are going to be traveling full-time or full-time. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to be hopping in a class C RV and we're just going to hit the road. We're going to go check out different opportunities in different places, meet people. I'm hoping to meet up with a lot of podcast listeners, maybe do a couple remote get togethers, you know, find like an outdoor archery spot at a County park and everybody hang out, grill out and shoot or something like that. Um, and then yeah, lots of invites and connections, different states to come hunt. So hopefully we can do that. But I think my wife is going to favor the Southeast quite a bit. She's going to okay. try to draw us down towards Florida. And I want to go the opposite way, like towards Montana. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, lots going on there. But we do have to be in Montana in September, which I'm okay. pretty pumped about because I put a deposit down on a dog. And so I'm going up there. Yep. I've got a British lab coming. I get pick of the litter. Um, and I want a male and yeah, September it's going to be ready to pick up. So we're going to go pick it up, have it for four ish months and then drop it back off for training for four to six. Good for you. So yeah. Yeah. Congrats. So I just need to have like different purchases that I have to be in the West (laughs) for. And then I'm going to be like, babe, I'm sorry. Like we got to go. We got to be there. It's for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you do get it, you know, obviously the spring is busy, but if you do get a chance, if you're visiting home before rifle season or around rifle season, you'll have to let me know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We plan on being in Wisconsin quite a few times this year. Normally we're only up there once, maybe twice, but I think we'll be up there a bunch. So yeah, 
be fun to get together. And if we can get you out hunting or something for a morning or whatever, it'd be a good time. Yeah, that'd be super awesome. Um, before we hop off, for those that haven't listened to the previous podcast that you were on, why don't you mm-hmm. share where they can find you, where they can sure. follow along, or even you know potentially book a hunt for next year? Yep. Uh, you guys can look me up. Uh, I'm on Instagram and um, TikTok. It's just holterdice22. Um, you can also follow uh, Snow Addictions Guide Service on Instagram and Facebook. Um, uh, I usually tag them in the TikTok stuff. And then you can also go to snowaddictions.com. Um, you can also, I guess, to do all the booking, John Olson is the one that does all of our booking. So you can contact John. Sorry, let me pull his number up quick at 218-289-2748. That's the best way to get a hold of him for booking a hunt. Nice. Yeah. Well, dude, it's always a pleasure having you on. I will be in Wisconsin for uh, the end of June. My dad's getting married, okay. so I'll be coming up. I'll hit you up sure. when I'm coming up, and uh, maybe we can get together then too. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Unfortunately, Holt was not able to fully convert me into a turkey hunter. I don't know if it will ever happen, but I will say, I, I mean, I keep mentioning this. I am getting more and more okay with the idea of turkey season and like being a turkey hunter. So maybe it's not a matter of somebody like changing me and transforming me into a diehard turkey hunter all at once. Maybe it's a matter of just like chipping away one conversation, one story after another until all of a sudden I couldn't care less about anything else except for chasing after gobblers. Is there, is there like a term for an addict when it comes to turkey hunting? I'll have to look that one up. Anyways, hopefully you guys got a lot out of that conversation and best of luck to Holt as he chases after some more snow geese to wrap up his season. If you guys aren't out there turkey hunting right now, if it's not in season there, if you're not out there picking up antlers and you're making excuses like, oh man, it was my anniversary or my kid had a soccer game. Guys, it's all about priorities. I'm just kidding. But seriously, hopefully you guys are getting out, finding some cool outdoor activities, whether it's picking up sheds on your own or using a dog. Oh my gosh, hold on. I can't believe, I think this is the first time I'm mentioning this. I'm getting a dog and I I'm so pumped about it. I don't know if I've shared that yet. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. Anyways, send me a message and tell me, dude, you've already talked about it. I am getting a British lab from West End Kennels up in Missoula, Montana. So pumped about it. Oh my gosh. He's, he's been sending me videos and I've been looking at, uh, or he's been sending me pictures of the male and the female. I've been looking on social media at all the dogs that he's had. Uh, the father of the pup that I'm getting is, uh, he's got videos of it being trained at only like, gosh, maybe a couple months old. And there's something about a dog that like listens. I think people can relate. Dogs that don't listen absolutely suck. When you have a dog that is well-trained and does what it's told and like you don't have to say it a thousand times or say it in a threatening way, I'm so pumped to have that dog out in the field going and picking up birds flushing pheasants, picking up sheds, you name it. I'm pumped. My family's pumped. In fact, my daughter wants to name it Golden Power Ranger. 
because we told her one of the options for the name was Ranger. And so immediately she wanted Golden Power Ranger. It will not end up being called that, but she, she can think that for a while. Anyways, I'm super pumped about it. Can't wait. Until next time, though, always choose adventure, and God bless. <laughs>